morning, Africa, and welcome to Daybreak Africa from the Voice of America. I'm Jackson Bungani in Washington. Today is Thursday, May the 12th, and here are some of the stories we're covering for you this morning. Three people were killed and several injured in a suicide blast near Mogadishu Airport. Al-Qaeda-affiliated militant group Al-Shabaab claimed responsibility for the suicide bombing in their affiliated media. Nigerian students are protesting a three-month extension of a strike by university lecturers. We are actually having a mass protest, which we are shutting down. Every state is shutting down. We go to the airport, we block the airport, block the federal road in every state. For the federal government of Nigeria to know that we are not happy with the country. And the Cameroon headquartered bank of the Central African states has argued the Central African Republic to annul a law it passed in late April that made cryptocurrency Bitcoin legal tender. We'll have those stories and more coming up right here on Daybreak Africa. Stay tuned. And for our top story, a spokesman in Somalia says that a suicide blast near Mogadishu Airport, which is the site of Sunday's presidential election, has wounded seven people. Other police sources say at least three people, including two security personnel, were killed. Mohamed Dasayan reports from Mogadishu in Somalia. Somali police say at least seven people were wounded Wednesday when a suicide bomber blew himself up at a security checkpoint near Mogadishu's international airport. Somali police spokesman Abdifatah Adan Hassan told journalists the attack targeted a senior military general who was in an armed vehicle. He says the suicide bomber targeted vehicles backing at the checkpoint. Among them was General Garvey, says Hassan, but he survived. Seven people were injured in the attack, he says, and were transferred to Medina and Big Fair hospitals for treatment. Somali police source told VOA three people were killed in the attack, including two security personnel. Al-Qaeda-affiliated militant group Al-Shabaab claimed responsibility for the suicide bombing in their affiliated media. Al-Shabaab has been fighting against Somali government and African Union mission in Somalia since 2007. The attack comes four days ahead of Somalia's long-delayed presidential election on Sunday. Members of parliament will meet at a fortified airport compound to choose the next president. A record 39 candidates have registered for the election, including incumbent Mohamed Abdullahi Mohamed, known as Famajo. Somali elections were delayed over a year because of disputes over the process and political wrangling. That so far, Majo tried to extend his term in office. Mohamed Daisane for VOA News, Mogadishu, Somalia. Nigerian students are protesting a three-month extension of a strike by university lecturers. They abandoned classes in February over unresolved pay disputes with authorities. And Timothy Obiezu reports from Abuja. The protests across some Nigerian states this week followed Monday's announcement by the Academic Staff Union of Universities, ASU. Hundreds of students in Lagos, Kwara and Edo states poured onto the streets, protesting an end to the school strikes. It is the second time the ASU has extended the strike since it began in February. President of the union, Emmanuel Osodiki, says the decision to continue the strike was difficult but necessary. 
I have up to three or four children in school who are doing with me. So I'm also affected. So it's not that I all our lecturers cannot afford to send their children abroad. So we are fighting for what will benefit all Nigerian students in Nigeria as a country. That students can come from all over the world to attend our university and have quality lecturers. That's what we are fighting for. And everybody, if he's successful, will benefit from it, including the students. They will have good education. The Lecturers' Union wants the government to implement a 2009 agreement to provide $500 million in earned allowances and revitalization fees to the union and public universities. Authorities and VSU on Sunday failed to reach an agreement. In March, Nigeria's labor minister said authorities have paid about $230 million and did not have the funds to pay more. Johnson Kolawali Michael says protests will expand to every state in the coming days if the strike is not addressed. So, so we're actually having a mass protest, which we are shutting down every every state. Every state is shutting down. We will go to the airport, we we'll block the airport, block the federal road in every state for the federal government of Nigerians to know that we are not happy with the country and um, Nigerian students are tired. We are tired of staying at home. If you can see what is going on now, there are many people who are at home doing nothing and you know an ideas person is a devil workshop. Strikes over pay disputes have been occurring in Nigeria for decades and often disrupt the academic calendar. Student Samuel Dambanji gained admission to study theater and media arts in 2019. Uh, it has really affected and is still affecting students like me. Like it has been a thorn on the flesh to students in Nigeria. I'm supposed to be in my final year now, but because of the strike, I'm still in 200 level and the strike is still ongoing. So these are the things that uh, we are talking about. Like in my wonder level, I spent, I spent close to two years in the same level. In 2020, the union strike lasted nine months, the longest in recent history. Timothy Obiezu for VOA News, Abuja, Nigeria. The Cameroon-headquartered Bank of Central African States has argued the Central African Republic to annul a law it passed in late April that made cryptocurrency Bitcoin its legal tender. The bank warned in a letter made public last week that the move breached its rules and could affect monetary stability in the region. Moki Edwin Kinzeka reports from Yawunde in Cameroon. The Bank of Central African States, Bayak, says the Central African Republic CAR decision to make Bitcoin legal tender could compete with the Central African franc CFA, the region's France-backed currency. A letter from the bank's governor to the CAR's finance minister, dated April 29 and made public last week, says the move suggests the CAR wants a currency beyond the bank's control. The regional bank's letter goes on to suggest using the cryptocurrency could upset monetary stability in the six-member Central African Economic and Monetary Community, CEMAC. CEMAC members include the CAR, Cameroon, Chad, Gabon, Equatorial Guinea, and the Republic of Congo use the CFA franc as currency. The bank urged the CAR to comply with CEMAC in promoting economic and financial cooperation 
and avoiding policies that may lead to monetary fluctuations. But economists note cryptocurrency is growing in popularity and difficult to control. Financial capital economist Willie Delors-Hebe says Bitcoin transactions have quadrupled in the region in the past three years. He says the decision by the CAR to adopt Bitcoin as legal tender is a violation of a community pact signed by the six member states of CEMAC to protect the economic bloc's financial integrity and economic development. However, Heber says despite the region's policies against making Bitcoin legal tender, it is very difficult to stop cryptocurrency transactions when people agree to use it as a means of payment. The Bank of Central African States, Bayak, has also expressed concern that cryptocurrencies could make it easier for criminals to launder money and sponsor terrorism or rebellions in the region. The CAR has been in conflict between rebels and central authorities since 2013. Cameroon is fighting separatists and Chad is fighting a spreading Islamist insurgency. Last week, Cameroon's Employers' Union said armed groups in Central African countries use Bitcoin to hide their financial transactions. The union said Cameroon in 2021 reported Bitcoin transactions of $260 million, 40% of it to separatists in Western regions. The Central African Bank said Instead of adopting Bitcoin, the CAR should implement CEMAC monetary policies to reduce endemic poverty. CEMAC economist and consultant David Kundi says if the CAR does not annul the law on Bitcoin, the bank could punish it. He says when the CAR or any CEMAC member states want to buy from the international market, they rush to the Bank of Central African States for liquidity for their transactions. Kunde says the bank could withhold the CAR's reserves if it violates the economic bloc's laws. The Bank of Central African States declined to answer questions from a reporter on what pressure it might use to get the CAR to annul the Bitcoin law. The Central African franc CFA was pegged to the French franc following agreements signed between Cameroon, Chad, the Central African Republic, Equatorial Guinea, Gabon, and the Republic of Congo in 1948. The CEMAC member states agreed to keep at least half of their financial reserves in the French Treasury in return for a convertibility guarantee. Since 1999, the CFA franc has been pegged to the euro at about 660 CFA francs to one euro. Moki Edwin Kinzuka for VOA News, Yaoundé, Cameroon. Daybreak Africa continues. For months, only a trick of aid has entered Ethiopia's war-torn northern Tigray region, parts of which the UN says are likely in a state of famine. Tigrayans forced to flee hunger are so desperate that some tell of abandoning their families. 
Henry Wilkins reports from Sekota in Ethiopia. Sekota is home to thousands who have fled Tigray, displaced by war and hunger. Throughout the town, they gather in their hundreds each morning at aid points run by non-profits. Sometimes there is food to give them, but mostly there is not. Tigray, just 10 kilometres away, has been under a de facto humanitarian blockade for a year, with the Ethiopian government and Tigrayan rebels blaming each other for preventing aid from getting through. It is thought that 700,000 people are living under famine-like conditions in Tigray, according to aid agencies and regional health officials who also say at least 1,900 children have already died of starvation. Kasahan Bayi, a father of six, arrived in Sokota from Tigray recently, abandoning his family. He says he knows his family has nothing to eat, but he can't do anything about it. He'll try to bring them to Sokota if they survive until he returns. He says he's not cruel for leaving them behind, but the situation was beyond what he was able to deal with. The full extent of the crisis is unknown because the government has banned journalists from visiting Tigray and has also imposed a telecommunications shutdown. However, VOA was recently able to visit Sakota and talk with those displaced. Kasa Tagaru belongs to the Amhara ethnic group. She says her ethnic Tigrayan husband did not come with her and her children because he feared being killed in the Amhara region due to his ethnicity. She says her nine-year-old daughter always asks if her father is alive or dead, from starvation or something else. Rights groups have been ringing the alarm bells about ethnic-based violence and killings against Tigrayans, including in the Amhara region. Establishing humanitarian corridors to allow people to escape Tigray would help alleviate the crisis, say advocacy groups. Sarah Deardorff-Miller is a senior fellow at Refugees International, a Washington-based non-profit. Absolutely. There need to be more ways for civilians who are trying to flee to get out. I mean, that is a basic principle in international law. That's a very basic kind of, you know, refugee 101 um, issue. Zenash Warku is an aid worker in Sokota. We are accepting displaced people arriving in Sokota, including from Tigray. That's part of being human, Zanesh says. She says she believes people shouldn't suffer because politicians disagree. Meanwhile, desperation continues to drive people to flee to Sokota, like Kenu Asfor. Kenu says he has nothing to lose and risks the journey that takes four days and nights without access to water or food. I would rather die trying to get out, Kenu says, instead of dying due to hunger. Most people who spoke to VOA said before leaving Tigray, they witnessed adults and children dying of starvation. Henry Wilkins for VOA News, Sokota, Ethiopia. Togo's government says that eight of its soldiers were killed and 13 wounded in an attack in northern Togo on Wednesday in what many say is the first deadly raid on its territory by Islamist militants. The attack was carried out before dawn by a group of heavily armed gunmen who ambushed an army post in Pendal Prefecture near the border with Burkina Faso. Security analysts say the attack was likely carried out by a local al-Qaeda affiliate that is best in Mali but in recent years has spread south into Burkina Faso. 
Groups linked to Islamic State and Al-Qaeda have carried out hundreds of attacks across the Sahel region of West Africa in recent years, focusing mainly on the landlocked countries of Burkina Faso, Niger and Mali. The UN Refugee Agency, UNHCR, warns the twin disasters of conflict and climate change are creating a large-scale displacement and humanitarian crisis in Mozambique. Lisa Schlein reports for VOA from Geneva. Mozambique has been battered by five tropical storms along its northern coastal areas since the start of this year. Tens of thousands of families have been affected, including refugees and people internally displaced by ongoing violence in the oil-rich province of Cabo Delgado. The last storm, Tropical Cyclone Gombe, made landfall on March 11th. It affected some 736,000 people, including tens of thousands of refugees, asylum seekers, and the communities hosting them. Grain O'Hara is head of the Division of International Protection for the UN Refugee Agency. She recently participated in a high-level mission to Mozambique to view the impact of the climate disasters and assess the needs. She says the visit to Maritan, Mozambique's main refugee hosting settlement, was an eye-opening experience. She says the devastation caused by Cyclone Gombe was huge. She notes upward of 80% of the shelters of both the refugees and hosting communities have been damaged. We saw the remnants of people's homes, which quite literally had just melted away with the force of the cyclone. And we met with many families who had nothing left but the, the contents of their kitchen and some bamboo and some small amounts of plastic that they were able to salvage. O'Hara says the impact of conflict in Cabo Delgado and extreme weather events have left people extremely vulnerable. She notes they are in urgent need of humanitarian assistance as well as physical, material and legal protection. She says the severe humanitarian emergency in Mozambique requires an urgent response. Unfortunately, the situation on the ground is one of chronic underfunding and I came away from this visit having had the opportunity to see with my own eyes how serious the situation is there with a sense that this is one of those hidden overlooked and forgotten emergencies. O'Hara says the UNHCR needs 36.7 million dollars to scale up its assistance and protection operation in Mozambique this year. Lisa Schlein for VOA News Geneva. The political opposition and businesses in Zimbabwe are angry over the decision by the central bank to ban the country's banks from lending loans to businesses and individuals. But as Columbus Mavunga reports from Harare, the government says the move is meant to contain the mushrooming parallel market of the country's currency. Let man the Reserve Bank of Zimbabwe governor John Mangunja was on TV justifying the position. The measures are one, trying to address the inflation, determine inflation, to address the premiums on the power exchange rates. It's important because we want to ensure that the prices in Zimbabwe are made stable. So to a consumer, it will be value for money. There's no erosion of value of his, his earnings. But Peter Gift Mutasam, Zimbabwe banks and allied workers' union, has a different idea. Lending is the biggest part of banking. They take depositors' funds and lend them to, to those who want to borrow. 
and uh, make a profit and also pay interest. So what the government has actually done is to close banking in this country. So we are supposed to be expecting uh, job losses, massive job losses. Opposition leader Tendai Biti is Zimbabwe's former finance minister. The veteran lawyer says banks can challenge the Reserve Bank of Zimbabwe announcement, which he called absurd and paranoid. But more than that, you're also affecting uh, commerce and industry. And in a country where 95%, there's 95% unemployment, the economy is in the intensive care unit, you need money, you need capital to spare a, a business, but then you ban, a, a, you, know, you, know, you know, lending. Denford Mutashu is the president of Confederation of Zimbabwe Retailers and says the government made the right decision. A lot of people have just been buying and selling money and they're borrowing to finance the parallel market. And I think that is wrong. And overall, I think what we need is sanity in the economy. And we, we had to stop at, at, at some point and start afresh. Observers say only time will tell if the new measures will curtail the collapsing Zimbabwe dollar, which was reintroduced in 2019 after it had been abandoned 10 years earlier when the economy was hit by hyperinflation. It now trades around 450 to the US dollar. Columbus Mavungam for viewing news, Harare, Zimbabwe. And for our final story tonight, we're still in Ethiopia, where the UN says that there was a drought to hit the Horn of Africa in decades has displaced hundreds of thousands of families and forced more than 600,000 Ethiopian children to drop out of schools. Aid groups save the children has built centers near displacement camps for children so they can continue their education. Linda Giftash reports from the Ethiopian town of Gode. Foosball may just seem like a fun game, but the children playing are developing the skills and confidence they need to transition back to the classroom. More than 900,000 families have been displaced by the ongoing drought that has wiped out livelihoods for both herders and farmers. Ali Nur Mohammed works for Save the Children in Ethiopia. Due to the different psychological trauma as a result of the displacement drought, the death of a livestock, and then so we are, you know, we have to set up a place where children can come at least play and, and then have some fun and then just forget what's going around their family, around their household. The effort has helped displaced children like Ahmed Noor get excited about their education. Noor is a fifth grade student at the Farbro Primary School outside Gode. He says he saw children his age learning, so he asked his parents to let him join. They brought him to the school, and now he's in grade five. Baseline education standards are poor in parts of Ethiopia, particularly in rural and remote communities. According to the United Nations Children's Fund, UNICEF, over 60% of primary school students aren't achieving pass rates high enough to succeed at higher levels of education. That means only 54% of children make it past the 8th grade. UNICEF's Ethiopia country director, Gianfranco Rotigliano, says that's why reducing disruptions to schooling is crucial. If they lose uh, one or two school years, they will never go back to school. 
because it's the issue, you know, when, when you are 14 and, and you have to sit with people that are 11 years old or 12, you don't, you don't feel comfortable and, you know, the family is poor, so they don't see really a reason uh, to push for that. One of the incentives being offered is feeding programs in schools, but Save the Children had to stop offering meals at the Farborough Primary School late last year because funding was not renewed. With malnutrition rising because of drought, the organization tries to provide high-nutritious biscuits to these students to keep them from falling ill. Linda Giftesh for VOA News, Godet, Ethiopia. And that's it for this edition of Daybreak Africa. We thank you for spending this morning with us. For more African news and features, visit our website at voanews.com. Connect with us on all social media platforms. We are on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. We are also on YouTube where you can watch our videos. Until next time, I'm Jackson Bungani in Washington wishing you a great week ahead, Africa.